Have you ever seen a ghost? Have you ever seen a UFO or aliens or anything like that? And I know this shouldn't play second fiddle to that, but it happens to me on just about every trip. Have you ever seen God? Have you ever been to hell? Well, imagine all of that happening in one day, in one sitting. Not only that, but imagine these ghosts resurrecting themselves from the dead, these aliens traveling, you know, potentially millions of light years across the cosmos, and, you know, God doing whatever he needs to do to manifest himself for the sole purpose of discussing a minute-long fist fight that you got into in junior high, and how that fist fight is a microcosm for all human suffering, and how understanding the parameters, the ins and outs, and the aftermath of that single fight could crack the code on all human suffering, from the past, going on today, and forever into the future. Y'all, when I tell you that this trip goes deep, and we go to some weird and wild places, you had better believe me. I mean, for crying out loud, aliens showed up, y'all. Aliens. And I know that's what you're all here for. And don't worry, we're going to get into that. Now, granted, it's they show up kind of late in this whole episode, right? I mean, they really were only there in my trip for about probably like 30 minutes out of five hours. But you will get your alien fix, trust me. I know I did. But to me... What was more impressive than the aliens was having two of my dead uncles show up. And y'all, when I say show up, they practically opened the door, walked in, sat down, and we sat there and chilled and talked with each other for about two and a half hours solving the world's problems. It was as vivid and lucid as your best friend walking through the door right now and you guys going like, oh, hey, what's up? Oh, you want to go grab beers later? Y'all, it was that freaking real. And then my trip to hell this time, and the reason why I got sent there, is absolutely one of the most bone-chilling messages you will ever hear in your entire life. And all of this because, and focused on, a minute-long fist fight that I got into in junior high. One in which only two punches were thrown, one of which missed the guy, and the other one was a punch in the arm. Nonetheless, that fight had cosmic significance. And, oh yeah, God was there. Again. So let's get started, shall we? Welcome to my journey through the Pantheos. Trip 8. Our scars are important. Good picture. Fireflies. We're still looking at it. I was rolling on the moon one day, day. Roger roll, Discovery. In the spring of 1997, my eighth grade year, I got into my first fist fight. A fight that would last in total from the initial kind of verbal jabs at the beginning to the taunting after the fight. A total of about a minute and a half, two minutes, something like that tops. The actual physical altercation lasted anywhere from about 20 to 30 seconds at most. And it was during this physical scuffle that I received a scar in the form of a broken hand. And although I was the most physically damaged party in the fight, directly after the fight, when the smoke was clearing, I inflicted emotional damage on my fellow combatant. Damage that would lead to a different kind of scar. An emotional scar. Fast forward 23 years later. This is going to be a good trip. It's going to be an awesome trip. I am sitting in my upstairs bathroom 
having just taken seven grams of golden teacher mushrooms. And I get some some answers that have been um, ev- evading me. Bombs away, y'all. And waiting for God to appear like he always does. Okay, let's do this. And about an hour and a half into the experience, he did just that. There is definitely a presence there. And after a brief reacquaintance... Welcome back. (laughs) I can't welcome you. You welcome me. Followed by a brief examination on my part. Apologies if I'm leaning back and forth here. I'm just trying to get a three-dimensional representation of what I'm looking at. Hope you don't get offended by that. God was ready to unfurl his first lesson to me. And it all started with my hand. I found myself staring and focusing intently on my right hand, in particular my right palm. You see, on my right palm, there was a small brown mark, a discoloration. It was the result of a blood blister I had gotten about two weeks before that and had since healed. And I couldn't figure out, of all things, why God wanted me to focus on this random, harmless discoloration on my palm. So I asked God a simple question, a three-word question. Is this important? And I received an equally simple answer, a four-word answer, and one that was so powerful, it not only made me instantly sob uncontrollably, but changed my life forever. Our scars are important. Our scars are important. You see, that perfect sentence from God was not referring to physical scars. Physical scars are merely a symbol of the true meaning. What God was referring to was emotional scars, the scars that matter most and the scars that truly change us. The grouping of these four words together was the most beautiful thing I had heard in my entire life because it was a release. It was an acknowledgement from God that he gets it, that he understands. It was as if in the moment God put his arm around me and said, it's okay. All at once, every emotional scar I had ever received in my entire life came pouring in like a flood. Each drop of water, a different memory, a different scar, and I was breathing them all in. But instead of drowning, with each drop, I was healing. And soon, the flow was reversed in the form of my tears. I sobbed uncontrollably with every tear and every gasp for air being a release from a painful memory. But there was a problem. The scar that had initiated this release was not a scar at all. Scars are permanent and there is a lesson to be learned from all of them. This discoloration on my palm fit neither of those criteria. Had God made a mistake? At that moment, I heard the words go deeper in my mind. And that's when I realized it wasn't the discoloration on my palm that God was wanting me to focus on. The true focal point was much deeper. Beneath that mark, beneath the skin, beneath the muscle and all the different tissues was a broken bone. A broken bone I had received 23 years prior, and one that would be a fractal symbol for all human suffering. This one right here, this one will never go away for as long as I live. I broke that hand. You see, that fight was not only the first fight that I ever got into, but it was also the first and only time that I ever bullied somebody in my entire life. Legit. Eighth grade hit somebody. I freaking hit somebody with my hand. Permanent scar. 
At that time in my life, eighth grade year, I myself was emotionally scarred. My parents were going through a divorce and it was affecting me in ways that I neither fully appreciated nor understood. And although I was always a peaceful person, emotional scarring combined with puberty and the right confluence of events was a ticking time bomb. On that day, what started out as a tit-for-tat war of words quickly escalated into a fight, a broken hand, and because I was deemed more popular and was surrounded by my friends, a victory on my part. But victory wasn't enough. Because I viewed myself as the offended party, I wanted more. I wanted revenge. And for those of you listening, <laughs> I'm pointing to my broken hand where I punched a poor guy. I didn't, even, I didn't punch him in the face. You got to give me that. I never punched the guy in the face. I punched him in the arm, if I remember correctly. I broke my hand on his arm. <laughs> and so the joke's on me. I broke my hand on his arm. <laughs> but then, but then, y'all, I, I did some terrible stuff to the guy. I mean, I knew my hand was injured or whatever, and I, I couldn't fight him, but I could humiliate him like a friggin' coward. By the way, by all accounts, I should have been the one being bullied. I was a hulking guy. He was a big guy, huge guy. So my hand was broken. I was like, I can't, I can't fight him, uh, but I can humiliate him with all my buddies. And so I started grabbing these tennis balls. I don't know what the hell tennis balls were doing in a football locker room. I <laughs> just started grabbing these tennis balls and just... After securing a nominal victory, I added insult to injury by not only lobbing tennis balls, but heinous insults at this poor kid. Anyways, I was throwing this, these balls at him, one after the other, just boom, 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 just humiliating this guy. And while I was sitting there, pondering what I had done on that day, something happened that happens on just about every trip. A part of my body moved against my will. It was as if God had taken control of my body in this game of charades to show me something. In this case, my foot involuntarily leapt off the floor and struck my knee, hmm. engaging the knee-jerk reflex. Well, why would I just <laughs> suddenly hit myself? And the charade was complete. <laughs> a reflex, it's a reflex, okay. The fight, my broken hand, and the bullying afterwards was a knee-jerk response. A reflex. It's a friggin' reflex. We're very reflexive. God was literally, y'all, to get the point across to my dumb ass, God was taking my foot, no joke, and slamming it into my knee and it made me... <laughs> so amazing, y'all. And then I reflexed. I mean, y'all heard it happen. Y'all heard it happen. Holy moly. Can I just... You heard that happen, y'all. It's a terrible thing to do to somebody. To take your scar out on someone else and create a scar for them. And that's what I did. I didn't know it at the time. I wasn't consciously aware of it. But what I did was take the pain from the emotional scar of the divorce of my parents and reflexively lash out and inflict that pain tenfold on someone else. My scar led to another deeper scar. And it was upon this realization that a portal opened up. A portal that was centered around my broken bone. I could see a window into all of humanity from the beginning of time to the present 
and forever into the future. I saw that all of the heinous things that humans do to each other, they are all reactions to scars, reflexes to stimuli, and it was all personified in my broken hand. But how did someone like me, someone who had never bullied someone before in their entire life, get so easily ensnared? I began my analysis by unpacking what the true definition of bullying is. Scientifically speaking, Darwinistically speaking, bullying is, it's, it's reinforcement of positive, like, survival traits. In short, bullying is a socially influenced evolutionary mechanism for signaling and reinforcing traits that are beneficial for survival. Being attractive is a big part of that. Being smart and funny, you can throw that all in there, right? How friggin' tall you are, I mean, you, you can go down the list while diminishing traits that are detrimental to survival. Signals of strength, that's what it really is. It's signal, you know, well, strength and all that stuff. And then you see something that doesn't fit into that equation. And it's in groups, which is where bullying is more prevalent, where the social interaction of bullying contributes to tribalism and mob mentality. And so you get into this herd mentality, um, ganging up on um, and it's just a reinforcement. It just further bolsters our, we are strong and we are this and all this other stuff. And, and, and it feels good. You get like a little dopamine burst and stuff like that whenever you're bullying these poor people. Here, you know, here's my click. This is the, this is the jocks. You know, we're, we're all like, oh, freaking powerful football players. We're, we're wrestling each other and stuff. I mean, we're, we're practically just like, you know, and there's that camaraderie there, right? And you see something, you see something that... During this moment of reflection, God took control of my vocal cords. And I said something that I not only had no control over, but something that shocked me to the point of wanting to take it back immediately. You see something that... You know, it's something that isn't a pillar of strength and camaraderie and raw Nazi fucking shit, man, basically. Uh, I, need, I need to... And so I tried to take it back. That, I don't know where that came from. I then began gesturing in a slicing fashion with my hand. Can we just cut that part out, what I just said there? I don't know where the fuck that came from. Starting from my chest and arcing up into the sky completely oblivious to the fact that I was inadvertently pantomiming a Zeke Heil. As I'm saying that, by the way, I'm Zeke Heiling with my friggin' hand. This is unbelievable. It was God making another point, playing another charade. You're right. Ladies and gentlemen, I le legitimately was Zeke Heiling as I'm but it's, you are a thousand percent right, God. And this charade was about to send me to hell. With God's intrusion of Nazis, I was now able to explore broader landscapes of bullying. I began making parallels to honor, nationalism, camaraderie, etc. And that's fucking straight up Nazism. Nazis, y'all. That's what we're dealing with. But I was beating around the bush. There was a single word, a simple five-letter word that tied everything together. The scars, the fight, the broken hand, bullying, Nazis. When I eventually landed on the word that God was charading, I didn't realize that I had sealed my fate. I had spoken a word that triggered a descent into hell. I, I was going off on this tangent about my about me and my stupid little fights. And that word was You know, I came away prideful from those stupid little fights. Pride. It's a big word to take away there. 
y'all. Mere seconds after uttering that word, the same hellish rot that had consumed me on the past two trips reappeared. <laughs> that word pride, though, y'all. Holy moly. That is a double-edged sword right there. I'm all cool. I'm... See? It's still clawing at me. Tendrils of red invaded the room, accompanied by a metallic smell. The unmistakable red color and metallic smell of blood. An endless chasm took shape beneath me. And out of it spewed more tendrils of blood. The tendrils quickly coagulated into a monstrous, gory arm. whose hand reached up high into the room, then promptly slammed down onto my throat, pulling me down, down into hell. Breaching the surface of this pit of blood, I could hear distant screaming beneath me, as if thousands of people were screaming their death scream. Still rotting from the inside out, and now in pure terror mode, I felt a sharp pain in my heart. And felt it stopping. I remembered. I physically pulled myself out of hell before to save my life, and I can do it again. So I did. I scraped clawed and pulled myself out of the void, out of hell, where I had went merely for uttering the word pride. Is there a hell? Is there a hell is one of four questions that remained unanswered on my spiritual awakening. It is true that I've been to hellish places multiple times on my psychedelic trips, but I've always been too afraid to ask that question straight up. After all, what if what I was experiencing wasn't hell? And what if, by asking if hell exists, I actually get sent there? What a terrifying thought. Best not to ask, I figured. But this time, on this trip, I wanted to know officially. And this time, I got my answer. In another moment of God speaking through me, I blurted out a harrowing sentence. There is a hell, and its gates are buttressed with that word, pride. The gates of hell, buttressed with that word, pride. It's a ghastly word, it's a ghastly word, ghastly word, y'all. With blood still invading my eyes, I closed them and was greeted immediately with a waterfall. An immense waterfall made entirely of swastikas. Unable to take it anymore, I opened my eyes. I expected to be back in the pits of hell, but I wasn't. Still reeling from my trip to hell, it was very clear that pride was the enemy. A one-way express ticket to hell. But the more I hung on that word, the more it began to change. Surely every encounter we have with pride isn't evil. Surely there are wholesome, 
godly people, places, or things that we can justifiably admire and take pride in, right? There's a beauty behind that word. Oh my God. Always. And it's a joke, y'all. There is a beauty in that word. Pride. There's a godly pride. Immediately upon thinking this, two faint orange lights appeared behind God. Lights that grew in both size and brightness as they drew closer. And the closer the lights got, the more apparent that they weren't just lights. There was some kind of biological structure within them. Closer still, and it was clear that they were not only biological, they were human. By the time they had overtaken God on their trajectory, it was abundantly clear what I was looking at. I was now face to face with my Uncle Jimmy and my Uncle Jerry, both of whom had passed away but were now within three feet of me looking at me. Aside from a magical, ethereal aura which surrounded them, dark orange on top fading to dark blue at the bottom, the images of my uncles were rich, sharp, vivid, and unmistakably them. They were there, physically, in the room with me, and it was realer than real. As the assumed host of the party, I felt it necessary to introduce my uncles one by one to anyone who didn't know them. I started with my uncle Jimmy, who had died one week prior. I'm going to talk about pillars. We'll talk about my dearly departed uncle That man right there was a true champion, a bastion. That guy, I guarantee you, never picked on one person in his life. And in a gesture that would later become a running joke, I set my Uncle Jimmy aside. We're going to set him aside for a second, though. And focused on my Uncle Jerry. My, my Uncle y'all, the biggest, you talk about, giant guy. I mean, his, his hands, no joke, were the size of my head. I am not joking around. It's practical joke funny how big this... <laughs> it's all a joke, y'all. But, oh, man. My uncle, what a great sweetheart guy that guy is, or was. He, he, he passed away. Tre- terrible, terrible accident that befell him. And he couldn't be happier. A year before he died, my uncle Jerry got into a boating accident and broke his neck. A giant, rootin' tootin', bronco-busting, practical jokester teddy bear of a man with life erupting from every pore in his body, paralyzed. The guy could not move anything from below his ears, y'all. And he couldn't be happier. That guy never picked on anyone in his entire life. If he saw someone being picked on, that guy would stand up and say no. And same thing with my uncle Those guys would say hell no. They would stand up in the face of that with pride. After heaping praise and admiration upon my uncle Jerry for about 15 straight minutes, I realized that I had unintentionally ignored my uncle Jimmy, whom I had set aside temporarily. When I welcomed him back, I bore witness to the most amazing thing I had ever seen in my entire life. He's a giant metaphor. He's a giant metaphor for a reason, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) And I'm sorry that his giant presence has to... My uncle, my poor old uncle... (laughs) I set him aside. I set him aside. We're going to do it. It's so my uncle was like, hey, don't forget about me. He's trying to my uncle now is like taking jabs. <laughs> I can just 
I can see y'all there's listen to this my uncle is like no, no you back up my uncle is big tall Texan he always had this always had his hat on man isn't it crazy I'm talking to you like you are right here we hadn't missed a beat oh my god this is unbelievable it's just unbelievable, y'all. I'm literally, literally looking at my... I don't think the two men have even met! <laughs> my Uncle Billy, but now they're meeting. Now they're meeting in this beautiful, glorious place called Heaven and the Afterlife. And let's listen to my, listen to my voice echoing as I say that, like... <sighs> y'all, I just saw... I literally just saw my uncle big and strong again. He had been just, he had went through a terrible accident. This unbelievably strong, amazing person had this terrible thing happen to him and he couldn't feel anything basically from the, from the ears down, basically. Couldn't be happier because of that. I'm pointing to God right there. Couldn't be happier. He's a giant metaphor for a reason, y'all. And I literally, the two men I don't think ever met. And I literally just saw them make an exchange. A humor exchange there. Uncle he's like, he's like, oh my God, this guy is huge. <laughs> it's like, welcome. All I gotta say, y'all, is you guys are are gonna have a just a hoot hollering, steer wrestling. I mean, wrestled steers, man. I mean, he is. He's a bronco busting. I'm saying it right now. I'm looking at you in the face, man. I'm looking at you in the face as I'm saying this. There is a heaven. My uncle G is there. He's there with. He's he's there with my uncle. B come come be a part of this. Come, <laughs> we're, we're welcoming you back into the fold. I now I'm y'all. I'm. Uncle Billy hugs, y'all. Uncle Billy hugs. I just want to melt. You guys, everyone knows exactly what I'm talking about. You know exactly. We have these people in our lives, like a family member. You get your Uncle Billy hug. It rescues you. You're just like, oh, man. Uncle Billy, come. You're, you're back, man. You're back. How amazing. I'm, I'm literally, like y'all, I'm cradling my, my sweet Uncle Billy right now. With my Uncle Jerry now standing tall and proud in front of me, and my Uncle Jimmy now hugging me, I received a clear message from God that we were all part of a team. A team in a war. A war against evil. And just like a team, we all have a specific purpose, a designated task. It was clear the roles that my uncles played. My Uncle Jerry was the tip of the spear, the commando that met evil head-on and steer-wrestled it back down to hell from whence it came. He's the guy who steps in when someone is being bullied, sticks his giant finger in the bully's face and says, you're going to have to go through me to get to him. Meanwhile, my Uncle Jimmy plays the role of the medic, or the chaplain, who tends to the bullied person, healing them with his warmth and love. I wondered, what role do I play? What's my job in the army? As if to emphasize the point, the room transformed into a literal war zone. Ridge formed around me. 
starting at the ground where I was and curving upward to God. At the base of the ridge was a cliff. Below that, none other than the pits of hell. And there I was, laying on the edge of that cliff, the left side of my body safely on the ridge, the right side dangling over the precipice, dangling over hell. Tendrils of gore once more invaded the room. And again, the rot began to consume me. But this time it was different. This time only the right side of my body was rotting. The left side, the side being embraced by my Uncle Jimmy, was pristine. But the right side, the right side was pure carnage. I could feel with my hand pieces of my face missing. When I drew my hand back and looked at it, it was covered in gore. In my right nostril and spewing from the right side of my mouth, the pungent scent of decay mixed with the unmistakable smell of sulfur. At this point, I am drowning in my own blood. But again, only the right side of my body. Fearing that I would be overrun by hell once more, I looked up to my Uncle Jerry for help. And in a move worthy of a superhero movie, he first charged himself with white swirls of energy. And then leapt from the bridge and literally steer wrestled evil back into hell from whence it came. Overwhelmed with what I had just witnessed, I turned away from the cliff and towards my Uncle Jimmy. Holding him tight and looking past him, the wall of the restroom melted away, revealing the vast cosmos. Planets, stars, galaxies, nebula. But in the middle, a small, faint green light. a light that was slowly approaching me. As it drew near, I could make out more detail. What seemed like one light was actually four lights. Four giant columns of green light, each of which pulsating with brighter flashes of radiant white light that shot upward through the columns. I had never encountered something like this before on my trips. This was different. There was something simultaneously biological and technological about what I was looking at. Something ancient. Something alien. By the time it got within 10 feet of me, I was certain that I was looking at an alien presence. Oh shit, I thought. What if these aliens are hostile? Immediately upon thinking this, a burst of energy erupted from one of the pulses of white light. But a burst that wasn't just energy. It was a message, a communication. Encoded in the energy wave that washed over me was all of the important and pertinent information about this alien species I was looking at. I essentially got the elevator pitch of their entire society. It was a six-point pitch, and here it is. Number one, they are not hostile. They are the complete opposite of that. Number two, they are a very ancient species and have had advanced technology for a very long time. Number three, they are fully aware of not only evil, but also hell. Number four, they are fully aware of God and are not only subservient and beholden unto him, but their entire society is fully aligned with him. 
Number five, not only are they fully aligned with God, but their entire society is fully leveraged in the fight against evil. And lastly, number six, the fight against evil is the most important thing in existence, and you ignore it at your own peril. As their message was sinking in, the alien presence positioned itself below and in front of God. Meanwhile, the white pulses of light that were shooting up the green columns began to expand further into the room. As each pulse washed over me, I not only received more information about their mission, but I also felt my consciousness lifting out of my body. It was clear that they wanted to show me more, but there was a problem. Just like every other time that I almost left my body, I felt my heart stopping. It was clear that if I was going to see whatever they wanted to show me, I would have to die. So yet again, I resisted. And I'm actually glad that I did. As amazing as it would have been to see aliens, spaceships, and other planets, I can tell you that whatever they were about to show me not only wasn't going to be pleasant, but it is also the most serious thing in the entire universe. All I know is that it involved the struggle of good against evil, and is so serious that the entire universe was leveraged in the fight. And I am content with knowing that much. I didn't see it all, but I saw enough. And I can tell you that they are right. The struggle is the most serious thing that you can possibly imagine. As I was absorbing everything I just saw, the other wall to the restroom dissolved, exposing not only more of the cosmos, but another race of aliens who had the same mission and who were also fully aligned with God. It was at this moment that I realized I was looking at the complete army. Me and my uncles, soldiers in our tiny sliver of what we call reality. These alien races, soldiers in interdimensional hyperspace. And God, above all. We are all on the same team. It was then that I realized that we all, all humans, have a part to play. We all have an important skill to bring to the fight. And the only thing that doesn't belong is evil. For it is the very thing that we must fight. The very thing that we must align with God and fully leverage our society against. Evil is the enemy. After seeing the cosmic forces at play and knowing the stakes, I was hit with an overwhelming question. What do I do with the rest of my life? Furthermore, what are we all doing with the rest of our lives? It's all a charade, a song and dance, smoke and mirrors of what's really going on, the reality behind the scenes. What do I do with all this knowledge, I thought? And the answer I was given was to sit on it to go through the charades and the pageantry of daily life, engage in the song and dance and the smoke and mirrors, do my bullet points, but do my homework above all else. And that's when it hit me. It all starts with what I have in my arms right now. My Uncle Jimmy hugging me. As if to highlight the seriousness, celestial streams of energy that resembled arms emanated from the alien presence. These arms were reaching for my phone, the same phone that was recording the interaction. It's amazing, it's, it's actually quite amazing that I'm feeling these cosmic forces channel through me, checking my recorder here. The aliens were ensuring double-checking that I was recording. 
they they want to make sure I'm getting all doing my homework here. Like they're they're checking. They just checked in. They're like, dude, did you capture this? What do you do? Now five hours into the trip, the experience began to ramp down. The aliens faded away. The walls of the restroom rematerialized. The ridge began to dissolve along with my uncle's. The only remnant was the crystal ball core of God. That's when I remembered that I hadn't seen or received any messages about my other uncle. My uncle Bob the same uncle whose memory triggered my first God experience. I don't know where I fit into this equation, by the way. I'm just a spectator at this point. I've been watching my uncle just kick ass. I've been snuggling up to my uncle watching my, my uncle get wrecked. Wrecked. Utterly wrecked. And he still was such a sweet guy. The sweetest of sweet. The sweetest of sweet. He he reflects the the misery, y'all. That man right there. He took he may not have known it. But he was a poetic Ah, it's the word I'm looking for. Like, it's where, you know, like in, in, you know, it's like a waterfall kind of situation. I don't know what you call it, but he, he captured like a cascade kind of thing, right? Where it's like you start the waterfall up here and then it starts trickling down and blah, blah, blah. Like he, the bottom of that well was my, my sweet uncle and he sat there in misery and he didn't want to let it out he kept it it's a strong it's a strong man it's a very strong man friggin you talk about war heroes you talk about war heroes world war freaking 2 y'all his whole life what a beautiful sacrifice what a beautiful sacrament. Like, I think he understood. I think that's why I've always been really drawn to my uncle. I think he understood. Like, you don't. It's a quarantine. Like, it got me. It's, it's kind of like, hey, it got me. And I'm doing my best to stop it from metastasizing. That poor, that poor, poor, sweet, awesome, awesome man. That poor, poor, sweet, sweet, awesome, awesome man. Makes you weep, y'all. Michael B***, man. Philosopher. Very wise guy. Very, very, very wise man. The philosopher. One of the smartest people I think I've ever... Just an awesome guy. Everyone loved him. He was everyone's favorite. And he made you think that you were his favorite. Everyone had an Uncle B*** story. He would always bring a delicious frozen chocolate treat <laughs> every time that he would visit us. Every time. I, y'all... I faked being sick at school. And, and I had to really sell it, y'all. And and like the, the, the nurse was pulling out all the stuff. She's like, hey, she literally called my mom. She's like, Mrs. I don't know what's wrong with your kid. And like, and then I think my mom probably knew that I just wanted to be with my uncle, my uncle. And I, I got to have a, a, 
I think like a couple days off of school with that awesome, awesome man. I loved him so much. It hurt. That man was so awesome. If my uncle were alive today, I mean, so many things. I'd... So many things. I love that guy so much, y'all. About the time that he was uh, getting ill, he had stomach cancer. Uh, so we're about like 1997, if memory serves, 96, thereabouts. I was going through a phase in my life. I think all adolescents go through this phase. You know, of course, you have to go through this phase, like a hunter-gatherer sense of the word. Like, you got to... Sh- you got to voyage out from your family, right? And strike up your your own family unit, right? So we have these hormones and triggers in place genetically and all this other stuff that's like whenever you are of that certain age, you find authoritative people like uh, your parents uh, annoying. You find them annoying, like every little tiny little idiosyncratic thing that they do it just drives you up the wall and that's the that's where you get all the bickering between uh teenagers and parents and stuff uh it's a it's a it's a legit thing y'all like it's like innate in us from two hundred thousand years ago um we needed to start our own family units um I was caught up in that. By the way, that's called puberty. <laughs> and, um, so, so I got caught up. I was, you know, biologically caught up in that uh, hurricane <laughs> uh, right around the time that my uncle was getting really sick and and passing. And and it breaks my heart, y'all, that I used to look at the guy and be annoyed by him. It breaks my heart. I wish I could go back. I wish I could go back. I could... All the times I was... Wanting to be away from him. In those moments. It's so terrible, y'all. He was dying. Quietly dying. On top of that. Absorbing all of the pain. And quietly dying. This poor man. (laughs) He was an awesome, awesome man. I would give anything to go back. And tell him that that's my. I try not to live my life with regrets. That's in the top. That's in the top. I'm sorry. I think that brought us all back home now, y'all. I think I'm out of this trip. amazing how my uncle was the person that launched me into the God thing. If we're we're talking about podcast terms, this is trip two or whatever. He launched me in and he is the heartbreaking landing out The philosopher. He's such a great guy. So I'm actually going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, guys, I'm officially out of this trip now, finally. Holy moly. I'm going to hit stop, gather myself, 
and I'm going to make sure that this file saves <laughs> and, I, and then I get a backup of a backup of a backup triple stamped. Here we go. It's all riding on the line on this one. Hitting the stop button. Hitting the stop button. Here we go. Uncle get ready. Uncle All of these people get... Here we go. Here we go. So I was going to do a long outro, if you want to call it that, like a conclusion, rather, uh, for this episode, because there's a lot of stuff that I had to compress, a lot of stuff that I had to, you know, cut out altogether to make time. The narrative kind of narration approach, I think, is really cool. It's um, it's different. I don't get to expand a lot, which is probably good for those of you who are, who are, you know, are annoyed that I never really get to the point and I keep repeating myself and all that stuff. Uh, this episode is for you. <laughs> uh, it really kind of cuts it down, the narration. So, and I like it. It's ironic, though, that, that this was the longest trip that I had by far. It was like a good six hours when it was all said and done. And this is one of the shortest trip episodes. It's kind of ironic in a sense there. But um, regardless, I, I do like this format, but I still had a ton of stuff to unpack. Like, y'all, it gets way, 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 way deeper than the the the, the surface level stuff that I mentioned here. So I was going to do like a 10, 15 minute long uh, conclusion here, wrap it up and really hit home a couple of points. But the the way that ended there, the, the emotion, the raw, like, just sheer emotion of that with my other uncle. And I know it gets really confusing with all the beeping and stuff. I'm trying to take, not I'm trying to not use their real names because I'm sure that there's going to be relatives of mine that are like, how dare you associate my dearly departed loved one with uh, psychedelic drugs, okay? <laughs> so um, I apologize for all the beeping. It gets confusing whom I'm talking about. But um, regardless, what I'm trying to say here is that that last one was uh, a good emotional, you know, ending point, I feel like. So this is my long-winded way uh, of telling you that I'm going to do a an unpacking episode for this one. If, if there ever was a episode that, that you know, necessitates an unpacking episode, it, it's this one. There is some deep, deep stuff y'all behind our scars are important. Like I, I did a, I did two recordings of this episode before I landed on this narrative approach. And there was a solid 20 minutes, y'all, no joke. I am not joking around when I say that. There was a solid 20 minutes of me unpacking these incredibly freaking cosmically deep and historically significant aspects to, you know, our, our scars are important. And correlating that to uh, lessons from previous trips, you know, trip number five in particular, about how evil can snake its way through these innocent channels. Y'all, it, it scars broaden these channels. It's, it's, it gets deep, okay? And there are other things on the trip that I had to compress or cut out altogether that um, we need to dive in more. And then, of course, uh, <laughs> there were... Things that happened uh, in the sober waking light of day after the trip and during the recording of the trip that y'all just cosmic uh, synchronistic unbelievable stuff happened. I mean, it's it smacks you on the face and it's like, hey, this was all real, (laughs) like no joke. So, yes, get ready for the unpacking episode. And then y'all. I, I did two more ayahuasca trips kind of back-to-back. One was a botched experience, but was still amazing. And then the last one was... I, 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 I'm never doing psychedelics again. Let's just say it. Let's just put it to you that way. <laughs> uh, get ready, y'all. The story is not over. The story has some amazing amazing, crazy, unbelievably beautiful, and unbelievably dark turns coming up. So get ready. (laughs) I love you all. Tell a a friend or a family member that you trust that that won't think you're crazy for sending them a, a, a podcast about psychedelics. 
share this podcast with somebody, y'all. Do me a favor, please. I'm I'm uh, quitting my job and all this, <laughs> and I need some more followers here. Um, yeah, and I'll see you guys on the next trip. Thank you very much, journeymen and journeywomen. I love you all, and keep uh keep your 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 ear to the ground here. And I love you. Bye bye.